Welcome to Day Zero Update for September 10th, 2023. I'm your host, Chris Sologi. I'm Brandon Parkin. And I'm Dana Victoria. And yeah, finally back with the full crew for the first time in a while. Uh, we don't have a ton of news this week, but we have plenty of games to talk about. Uh, we each have a big game to talk about here. And uh, Danerb has some PEC stuff to talk about as well. Uh, so that'll be fun here. Uh, but we do have some other news here. Some Xbox stuff happened. Uh, some Nintendo Switch Online stuff happened. Uh, let's see, some Final Fantasy news, some Nintendo news. And we'll tell you more about the future of E3 that continues to be mostly the same as the past mm-hmm. several years of E3. Uh, yep. The the unsurprising thing happened, so yeah, we'll talk about that stuff here in a bit, but uh, I'll kick it off for what we've been playing. Uh, the big one is Starfield. Mm-hmm. I've put right now about 23 hours in uh, in the past handful of days, so um, I'd say if I had to sum it up, it's an okay game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very much a sum of the parts you've seen from their previous games. Uh, Bethesda's previous games like Fallout 4, uh, Skyrim, Fallout 76, with uh, some stuff from other games out there, your No Man's Skies and mm. maybe Elite Dangerouses and that kind of stuff. Um, but it doesn't really do anything so far to kind of make it stand out for me as something uh, well above anything they've done previously. Mm-hmm. Uh the the way the game starts it kind of it doesn't have the super slow intro that a lot of their games have had mm-hmm. uh like fallout 3 had you spend a bunch of time just going through different days in your character's life from baby to the point you get to leave the vault kind of stuff and fallout 4 had you go through the the pre nuke days kind of stuff before you get to uh get out of the vaults and uh, Skyrim has its whole thing where you're about to get executed before a dragon strikes the the village and you go through a big cave sort of thing and eventually get to explore like 30 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Um, here you're kind of starting as a miner, uh, a space miner uh, kind of thing, doing your this new job, I guess. And you happen to be the one that runs into this weird uh, artifact that gives you kind of uh, trippy visions of a sort that you don't really have any frame of reference for what's going on. It's not like Mass Effects where it's like a, a premonition of the future. Mm-hmm. It's more just some some weird trippy stuff that you're kind of uh, paying attention uh, to a little bit. But uh, as soon as you kind of dealing with that, you kind of leave the mine and... Uh, run into uh, a dude who works for this group called Constellation that has sort of been set up to explore the universe, I guess, and find uh, you know answers to some of the big mysteries. And particularly, they've run into these things they call the artifacts, and you are in possession uh, with experience of the third one that they've ever heard about. So uh, as you're talking to this guy, Barrett, He's like, oh, yeah, you can uh, just uh, take my ship and go meet up with Constellation. But before you can do that, a bunch of pirates show up and start attacking. Uh, so that's kind of where you get your first real combat 
uh, with the uh, the the laser mining cutter that you start with. That's for a while is a pretty effective weapon there. Um, I'm still using it even at this point where I'm level nine, I think. Uh, and yeah, it's at that point you kind of get to not really freedom, but this is like five ten minutes here of stuff but you're doing more than you do in most of these other games that they've made. Uh, so that's a, a nice bonus, uh, especially in the amount of stuff you can pick up and sort of hold initially uh, with over-encumbrance still being a thing, but at least initially they have a lot of the, the junk at small weights so that you can kind of carry a lot more of it. And I assume you just don't have so much access to the heavy stuff uh, for a while. Um, so yeah, after you deal with that, you're kind of flying to another place to uh, deal with the the pirate problem because they have been attacking uh, the ship that you've gotten from this guy constantly. And so you know you're going through your first kind of open area to go explore another planet, and that's uh that's a it's a big rocky place. Like a lot of the planets I've been running into are mostly big rocky places not uh not too much of a different look to them some you get to have more grass than others but uh there's not been a ton of variety in that stuff so far but i've also been to like four or five planets so far so that's uh been that um but yeah you deal with the the pirates which i just used my persuasion skills to talk them from wanting to pursue the 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 ship again uh and did that so that was a a fun time but yeah the uh the big things here is still lots of crap to pick up uh initially it's kind of hard to uh you know sort through it and figure out like what is the stuff that is uh valuable or important and even though you're kind of getting a little bit of information with the uh, the scanner that you have, which kind of acts as like a, a means for doing a little bit of like the, the no man's sky kind of scanning stuff of plants and animals and that kind of stuff. Uh, though the, uh, the big issue with being in that mode is that you can't open doors. You can't open lockers. You can't do a lot of that kind of stuff while that's active. You can't like go into your ship or anything. You kind of have to turn it back off. And even if you try to pause the game, it doesn't, pause the game it turns off the scanner then you have to hit it pause again to pause the game to go into the menus that kind of stuff uh there's a lot of control stuff like that where i'm not a huge fan of uh some of the ways that that stuff is being handled here and yeah the from there uh you kind of go to a different planet that is where constellations like main bases uh set up at uh what they call the lounge, which in the when you get there, it kind of looks like a you know uh, an old school style like hunting lodge kind of place. Uh, but you meet uh, a few characters there. Uh, one that is the the rich CEO guy that you know funds the the whole thing that they're doing there, uh, and a couple others that are more interested in the the scientific exploits and. Uh, some of the the more adventurous stuff that's going on there. So uh, that's where you kind of pick up your your second crewmates. Uh, the first one being a robot named Vasco, 
who is pretty good, but uh, Sarah's kind of more of a, a human, more capable in combat, though my ways of hoarding stuff, she just constantly complains that I have too much crap and I need to get rid of it. Uh, that kind of stuff would got uh, very old uh, to the point when I, you know, could kind of uh, freely choose my crewmates and such. I uh, assigned her to the ship to stay on there. Uh, now I have a different person with me um, after doing some more of the main story stuff. But yeah, the the big city you kind of go to where the 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 constellation people are at is also just a, a huge hub of activity where you get to do uh, a lot of side stuff if you want. It's maybe not a great idea to do too much of it because uh, that's where they kind of introduce the notion of you know you'll pick up quests just from being near people talking, uh, that kind of stuff. Where a lot of ambient quest stuff that kind of just ends up being a lot of just filler kind of side quests. There's not really a ton of story to some of that stuff. They literally throw it into a section in the men and the missions called activities that are all these like little quick side things that you can do. Uh, anything of real note gets added to its own uh, section of mission stuff. So that's kind of how you can tell where the important stuff is, uh, especially if you're talking to people that are uh, named that's where you're likely to get any sort of story stuff uh, to that. So, yeah, the uh, that stuff is there. Uh, I've been kind of dipping with some of the side stuff because I had some that are just like, oh, there's a there's a thing at where the uh, the first Apollo mission landed on the moon, kind of thing, which I think is just a, a snow globe that you pick up. There's one on Earth. Since this is set far in the future, the Earth has been largely uh, uninhabitable yeah. as it's kind of just uh, no atmosphere. It's just kind of, you know, turned into a big giant desert kind yeah. of thing. Um, there's like, oh, there's a memorial in London and it's just a, a snow globe. So yeah. it's a little bit kind of just like, oh, okay. I guess that's, I guess that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now I'm at the the point with like the the main missions with Constellation where I am dealing with uh, some extra people. Now we're kind of fleshing out things a little bit as they're looking for more artifacts, uh, that kind of stuff, and trying to find out more answers. Yeah. Um, I did run into some contraband, which is sort of items that you uh, don't want to have on you when you are visiting uh, sort of places that are policed by the UC, mm -hmm. uh, the United Colonies. Uh, but I had to because I, I tried to drop it and realized I was still sitting in the cockpit seat, so mm -hmm. it fell somewhere in there where I could not reach. Mm -hmm. um, and so like I had zero way of getting it. Um, so I ended up going back because I needed to, and I was like, all right, whatever. I'll probably get a fine or something and deal with it. Um, but that spiraled into a whole thing where uh, the UC want me to help them take down one of the big pirate groups. Yeah. Uh, that whole thing. So that's maybe an interesting place to do some other things for that. So yeah, that's uh, there's some there's some neat story stuff. There's also some not so interesting story stuff. Like yeah. I ran into a guy who was a, an art collector of sorts, 
who asked me to go pick up some artwork for him. And you could tell that, you know, it's, you know, uh, pirated material, something like that. It's not on the level. Uh, and you kind of bring that up to him. He's like, so what? Who cares? And then just gives you money. Tells you to mind your own business. It's like, oh, yeah. You didn't really have any opportunities to be like, you know, this isn't really how I would like to do things. And also, you know, you can't just like take it to the police or something. Like say like, hey, this guy's trafficking you know, artwork or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's there's not a ton of variety in that way of like having alternate ways of ending missions, at least as far as I've seen. Um, but yeah, the there's that the the flight stuff is it just so far seems to be largely a fast travel system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not feel like you know in No Man's Sky where you are in. You're kind of just staying in one system uh, for a while and traveling between the planets. That takes some time, uh, mostly just like a, a few minutes maybe to fly there. But you can also cancel out of it and like be like, oh, I'm going to go over here instead. That kind of thing. Uh, here you're kind of just setting up fast travel points, that kind of stuff. You can even set that up while you're on the planet's surface yeah. uh, to just warp over without even having to run back to your ship. But if you're over encumbered, you definitely can't do that. You have to run all the way back to your ship to do any of that. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, inventory management has been a big part of it so far. Cause I am, you know, when you're doing combat, the enemies usually drop a weapon plus some gear and some other stuff with them. And so you kind of acquire a ton of weapons up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially I have a number of, uh, they have the Diablo loot system kind of to it, uh, where there's, you know, rating or, tiered rankings for this stuff so i have a lot of blues and purples and i think even a yellow somewhere for something i forget what Mm -hmm. uh so kind of sorting through all that can kind of be annoying especially when you're uh trying to have something to cover generally in fallout games i try to have a weapon my best weapon for each ammo type Mm -hmm. Uh, so i'm not you know running a bunch of things that are using the same one and then running out of ammo quickly uh, though it helps when I've been using mostly my cutter that just has infinite ammo as long as it you don't let it run out of uh, out of its juice uh, and have to wait for it to recharge for a little bit. So mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. The combat seems uh, has been pretty decent so far, though your AI companion is kind of the, the person that will get aggroed uh, pretty quickly over that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a an abandoned like space station that a bunch of pirates were swarming all over. And that's when I had Sarah, who is the the woman that complains about me hoarding stuff, but she was just constantly running around, yeah. jumping over uh, barriers and all that kind of stuff, dealing with pirates and shooting them and all that, and then complaining that she's getting shot when she's you know, standing at the top of stairs where they can easily shoot her, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AI companions like Fallout 4 have very stupid AI. Uh, even if I'm just trying to, you know, open up lockers and such, I've had them just literally walk up and stand in front of the locker, mm-hmm. uh, either while I'm trying to open it or while they're trying to see if there's anything of note inside of it. Mm-hmm. And just a lot of that kind of stupid stuff, or they'll just walk right in front of me as I'm trying to do things. Uh, all that kind of stuff that makes me really wish it had like a a Mass Effect style, like, you know, go stand here and wait for my command, you know, that kind of stuff, being able to park them somewhere, 
you can kind of tell him just wait, but I don't really want to have it be like a, that kind of thing. I want them to be sort of smart with me being able to put them behind certain, co- you know, cover that kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, but they don't have anything like that here. Uh, the flight stuff. Yeah. You do have to, you don't have to worry about fuel ever. You just have like a max amount of fuel that limits how far you can go. Yeah. Uh, between different systems and that kind of stuff. But like, I've been in the ship they give you at the beginning of the game and that's, I've not had any issues ever really other than the, the contraband things when you go to certain systems, certain planets, you'd be like, Oh, there's going to be, they're going to scan your ship. So you might want to deal with this uh, contraband, which I think at a certain point you can get uh, cargo compartments that are shielded so they can't scan them. Uh, So you can keep your contraband that way if you want to do more piratey stuff. But when I set up my character, I set them up as like a xenobiologist, uh, which is all the classes are literally just they have these three perks that you start with one point in. Mm -hmm. And so that one was laser weapons. I think the the scanner, you have a point in that and a point in like oxygen. Uh, which oxygen is your stamina here. Mm. Uh, it's not like what uh, the the Borderlands game on the moon, where that was sort of your just survival thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, though you can just sort of run run out your oxygen, and then you have uh, a red CO2 meter that starts filling up. Uh, it's the same meter, so just empties one way, and then red starts filling up the other way. Mm. Uh, and once you fill that up, uh, then you start taking damage if you keep running around. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're encumbered, it'll. Are you moving at full speed? You will uh, run out your oxygen. Uh, but if you are just moving slowly around, you'll refill it. It's not really too bad of a system. It's not like Skyrim or Fallout 4. We had to move slowly. Yeah. Uh, the entire time, uh, they kind of have more, more of a range of movement there for that stuff. So that's nice. Though if you're on mouse and keyboard, that's not possible uh, because, you know, it doesn't have that that range. Uh, you just have movements and you hold down the, the shift key to run. And so there's not really a in-between kind of thing there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. There's, like, there's a, lot of, a lot of little annoying things, a lot of things that they've done in previous games that aren't, you know, all that much improved. Mm-hmm. Uh and like the big thing, like in Fallout 4, all your trash was worth something because it was mm-hmm. generally tied to at least one type of material you could use in crafting. Mm-hmm. And here, that's not really a thing. You have to look for specific resources. And much like No Man's Sky, it's tied to a lot of uh, elements stuff. So that's if you're exploring on the planet, you get to find little pockets of things you can mine out. Yeah. Uh, that kind of stuff, though. Yeah, the scanning stuff for the surveying is more annoying than No Man's Sky, where No Man's Sky, you just scan one type of a thing, and it's all of them are scanned for that type. Yeah. Uh, here you have to do, for each plant type and animal type, uh, eight of them. Uh, so the plants are especially annoying because you're not sure where they're all at. You just see kind of you know a light blue or a light green kind of look over these plants and... Uh, can't see them easily through other plants. So if you're on a particularly like forested planet, uh, that can be 
a bit annoying to go through all that. Enemies, you, you have to kill them to scan them. Mm. Uh, as far as I've seen, uh, that might just be a case of ones that are aggroed easily, but I don't know. I haven't run into too many creatures that aren't aggroed easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, there aren't many like peaceful creatures like No Man's Sky would have, uh, where most of them are peaceful. Uh, it's just certain ones that would just be assholes that you would shoot or just stay away from if you can. And so, yeah, the surveying stuff is kind of just annoying. It's not uh, something that really is too rewarding. But, yeah, a lot of the perks, uh, you can pick the first perk in any of them. And after that, you have to uh, do some activity X amount of times to unlock the ability to get the you know, the level 2 version of that perk. Uh, so I did that initially for the... Uh, uh, for the increased uh, you know, amount of cargo you could hold on yourself. Uh, so that was uh, necessary. And that required me to have, when I had at least 75% full on my carrying capacity, I had to sprint for like X amount of distance. And so I was like 1,000 meters at first, and then 2,500, and then 5,000 uh, for the last one. Uh, the one for... Oxygen requires you to run out the meter completely. Mm-hmm. And I did it 20 times and it's annoying because it's just, it's just really stupid. Uh, it's easier when you're over encumbered, but it's also like 20 times you got to do it. And it's just a real dumb thing to make people do uh, to kind of grind out. And I got the second tier and it's 50 and I'm like, man, if they're going for a hundred for the third, I'm going to be super annoyed because it's not, uh, cumulative or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, others are more easily doable. I started working on the commerce one so I could sell my junk for more money. Uh, and I was just like, sell 25 unique items. I was like, all right, I got, I got hundreds of unique items, so mm-hmm. good. Because uh, they, it's like I got lots of notebooks and folders and shit. And each color and type uh, all count as separate things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes it. Uh, easier to do that kind of stuff. Uh, though then you got to, you know, level up to get another perk spot on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of stuff. And the one for my laser just requires me to kill X amount of enemies with that, but I don't think it counts monsters like creatures. Yeah. I think it's human enemies, I think, but it'll pop up every once in a while. Like, Oh, you're this way as far into getting this thing to finishing up that perk uh, challenge kind of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. The the crafting stuff, I think this is the worst crafting system they've ever had in a game. It is just, I just think it's complete nonsense. Mm. Uh, there's six crafting tables and trying to sort through it of what you need for different things is just nonsense. They don't have any means of telling you like, oh, this is a you know material you'll find on these kind of planets or, you know, I had on the, the research crafting tree, which is unlocks more things you can craft. Uh, someone just said structural. I'm like, structural? What the fuck is that? And I go look at, there's a there's a crafting table. It's just for making like crafting items, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, is there something here called structural? And I'm like, nope. Uh, so when I finally got one of them that counted, I went and looked at my inventory. It was a root called structural with like parentheses root Mm -hmm. and it doesn't show the whole name for the thing. So it's like 
you know, a system that's designed just to be super annoying and just poorly designed compared to like most every other game that has crafting as a component. Mm-hmm. Uh, even their previous games, which, you know, those in Fallout's, you know, there's only so many fucking items in the game. And they, you know, they break that stuff down to like, here's, you know, this item is adhesive. This item's, you know, this type of thing. This thing, this item's this type of material, that kind of stuff. Uh, here there's tons of different elements you can find on different planets. Most of them seem to have like at least five different elements on them. Uh, maybe more, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of this game that's nonsense and it does a very poor job of telling you how to do some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first mission where I had to dock with something, I was like expecting it to either be something pretty simple or, you know, it would pop up a tutorial and I was looking at this area and it's, it's just putting the, the icon, like you need to go here kind of thing. I'm like, all right, I'm here. What do I do? And nothing popped up. And I found the, the tip system, the, the help system, which you have to hit pause, then pause again to bring up the system menu where you can save and do all that kind of stuff, mess with settings. And there's a help mm-hmm. section there that has dozens of these things about different aspects of the game. And the, the thing for docking literally made no sense as far as like, ah. it's just like press a to dock. And I'm like, I'm looking at this thing. It is not doing anything. And I like flew around a bit back and forth, all this stuff hit hit the damn thing multiple times enough that my sis, you know, my ship needed uh, repairs badly. Yeah, that sounds like a Bethesda game, all right. Yeah, and then, like, wow. after, like, five minutes of messing with this, I eventually ran into the perfect spot where it popped up text. Mm-hmm. And that text was still, like, at the very bottom of the screen that if I wasn't paying attention, I would just missed it. Uh, yeah. So I docked through that system. Luckily, the second time I had to do it uh, as part of the same mission, uh, mm. the mission tree, uh, eventually I had to do it again, and that was much easier. Mm. Uh, and it's like, this really wasn't designed very well. And there's a lot of aspects of this game that's not designed very well or or isn't explained very well. It's, it's, it's showing, really, to be quite frank, that Bethesda's gaming engine has very quickly become obsolete is what I think because uh, they've basically, uh, uh, they've basically been making the same game over and over again for the last 15 years. And and it's, it's, it's show it's long since started to show its age. Yeah. I don't know if it's the engine so much as this, this game has so many things in it that it doesn't, they did not have time to properly put. Yeah the work into each aspect of it. So there's yeah, like I said, that's, that's a Bethesda game. All right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it just show it kind of feels unfinished in a lot of places. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot of good ideas. A lot of them look great on pep on paper, but you know, as is typical with Bethesda, they end up releasing the game without any of the, any of the wrinkles being ironed out. And, you know, if it, you know, for a game like Skyrim, you know, which, that game was buggy as all hell when it first came out. It was at least still fun. And then you had Fallout 76, and that game was an absolute mess. Here it sounds like you, you're somewhere in between. Yeah. It's mostly polished pretty well. Uh, on Xbox Series X, I do have some performance issues here and there. Mm. Uh, exacerbated by 
uh, perk challenges telling me I need to sprint everywhere. Yeah. Uh, or I run and run around in places and it's like, oh, this is chunking up a little bit here and there mm. kind of stuff. Nothing that bad. I haven't had any real crashes. The only one I had was, uh, so if you know tricks around playing Game Pass games early, uh, you can change your region on uh, your Windows 10 PC or your Xbox to New Zealand to play them a little bit earlier. And I guess they had the launch for Starfield on uh, September 6th to be at 12 p.m. noon. Mm -hmm. And so for New Zealand, that was 8 p.m. our time here on the East Coast. Uh, So I played it for, you know, a couple hours there, uh, ready to, you know, for it to launch. And then at like 1145, uh, as... I don't know if this was when it was going to switch over to uh, U.S. time to be available. I don't know, but it's the luckily it was right after I got on the ship, so it auto saved. Uh, it just dumped me back to the dashboard. I mean, I was like, "Oh, well, that's weird." And I looked, and it's like, "Yep, this this just shut down for some reason." And I was like, "I don't know if it was tied to getting around the timing stuff." Or what, but it was just like, oh, this just crashed, but I haven't had any issues like that since then. There's just long load times because you, you know, they compartmentalize a lot of the areas mm-hmm. down into, oh, you got to go inside this building. And that's a whole different area kind of stuff. But yeah, the the open worlds, when you go exploring for surveying stuff, uh, those are pretty big areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like even in space, you can kind of fly around if you want. You're just... Your ships move so slow uh, compared to how spaceships would move uh, in uh, the real world where this all this tech is available. Mm-hmm. Um, like I read that Alana Pierce was trying to try that stuff out and she ended up kind of leaving it on while she went to bed to see like how things went. It took like seven hours to fly from Earth to Pluto. But then when she got to Pluto... Uh, I don't know if it lets you land on Pluto, but I think she was like driving or flying around it. And it took like five hours to do that mm. in a way where it's like, it seems like the, the speed of this stuff is not designed. Cause I think also when she got to Pluto, like the textures are all fucked up because mm. it doesn't, it wasn't designed to actually fly that in, you know, in as much real time as you could in the game. It's designed around you just selecting your course, you know, uh, and saying like, oh, I'm going to go here to where this mission is at and just flying there and, you know, doing a quick, you know, 10, 20 second load time, whatever it is, uh, and getting there and doing their thing. It doesn't Mm. expect you to actually fly there. Mm. Uh, So that's kind of the thing where it's like, yeah, you can see where like they have put their focus on versus what No Man's Sky does, which Mm. is like lets you, you know, fly you actually fly around the planet to go to other places on there uh, where mm. things are at, that kind of stuff. And you can actually take off and fly through the atmosphere out into space. And sometimes if you have, you know, expensive stuff on board, pirates will scan your ship and be like, all right, we're going to take you out and get your, your treasure, that kind of thing here. There's not as much of that, but I also haven't been doing as much flying as uh, I could. I'm trying to just do more exploration and some main mission stuff now Mm -hmm. as that's starting to get more interesting. And yeah, it's, 
it's a solid game. It's just not like a, a hugely surprising or amazing game in any way for me so far. Mm-hmm. It just feels like, hey, what if we took uh, some of the cool stuff from Fallout 4, put it in you know, a big space sci-fi story thing uh, with a, a huge scale to it, but not really mm. scope everything to work well in that kind of system? Mm. It's just, it's a whole thing where it's like, yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff in here, and there's other things where it's like, oh, this is kind of worse than Fallout 4, or mm. this is worse than how it works in Fallout 76, or this is how, you know, this is about the same as it was in Skyrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff, like the the, the visual style is not all that amazing. It's the same kind of uh, the way that people look in you know, the Fallout games. Uh, they're just, they're not dirty, because mm. uh, they're not in the wasteland. Or anything, so there's no need for people to do clean faces mods for this game. Although I've seen people doing mods to put like celebrities' faces in the games, mm. make that easier to do um, for that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's it's pretty decent for what it's doing. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's ever going to get to where I would like it to be, um, and I don't I don't know if that's necessarily something the game has to do. Because there's a lot of things people want this game to do, a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. I just think they need to do things to make like the crafting uh, impenetrable. Because right now it's not penetrable. Uh, it's just a, a mess. Uh, in the, the, the Constellation area they're building, they have a basement floor that literally has all the crafting tables. And me jumping back and forth trying to figure out like, okay, is this something I can make over here? Like no, okay, I don't, I don't know what the fuck this item is, kind yeah. of thing. Like a lot of that kind of stuff. Where it's like, is there a good wiki guide out there? Maybe I don't know, but it's the sort of thing that would save a lot of this stuff. But yeah, Starfield's out. Yeah. It has a lot of stuff that can occupy your time. It's a decent time waster, but yeah, I don't know how much more time I'm going to put into it really, yeah. unless because nothing has really hooked me so far, other than just uh, the desire to hoard things and sell it. I've run out. I've run two, uh, two uh, people out of money selling stuff to them. Uh, one is a kiosk for the the trade authority group, so mm-hmm. that's a a weird thing to be at. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's Starfield. Not really much more to say about it. It's, yeah, it's solid, but it's not it's not amazing or anything new mm-hmm. or uh, impressive, really, other than just. It's not super buggy, so that's great. Mm-hmm. At least for me. I don't know. I haven't been playing it on PC much, so maybe that's where the bu- bugs are. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's Starfield. I got two other games here. Uh, I found two more like Vampire Survivors clones on PlayStation. They were both on sale, so I bought them, checked them out. Uh, Hack and Shoot Heroes uh, mm-hmm. is a game that I looked it up and it was on Steam. I had to verify because, like, the description for the game did not make it abundantly clear it's that kind of game. Uh, so I looked on the Steam page, and uh, the reviews seemed to very much suggest it was that kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, it only had, like, seven Steam reviews, and all of them were negative. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, this this game seems to be trash. So that's more interesting. So I'll see what that is. It was, like, two bucks, so it wasn't that big of a deal for the price. Mm-hmm. But uh, that game... Yeah, not great. It's very limited in what it's doing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, within like a couple of runs, I had enough money to buy out the the entirety of the the item upgrades they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just gives me extra XP. I earn extra gold. It drops um, stuff like that. But uh, as you're playing, you're you don't you don't aim your shots. You aim you choose the direction with the right stick, mm. uh, just in cardinal directions. So northeast, south, and west. Mm. Um, and depending on the character you're picking, you have different starting weapons kind of stuff, but there's only six of them and there's only six maps. Uh, so not really too much to it other than just, uh, just trying to get a successful run. They're not too long so far. The first one's like, Oh, just 12 minutes. And then the boss appears and you gotta deal with that. And so you kind of figure out the, the weapons that are Mm. most useful and the upgrades you want. And, you know, uh, you get some, uh, upgrades it's just like oh it pulls all the little xp gems towards you and all the the gold gems and if you upgrade that they come a little faster to you otherwise you're trying to do getting uh, more health or upgrade weapons or get new weapons that just give you more ability to do damage to enemies mm. um the second map is very annoying because it's it's like a graveyard and there's like two open areas you can run around but if you get forced into uh there's like four paths on the cardinal directions that you cannot get out of, at least at mm-hmm. a certain point when you have swarms of enemies coming at you. Uh, yeah. They're they're just really easy to kind of get stuck there. So that's that's a game I'm just putting a little bit of time into. It doesn't have much in the way of you know, trophies or anything to it. So mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't look like it's going to be too hard once I figure out the best like people to put on things. But I'm almost done unlocking all the 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 other heroes you just need money and so at a certain point you just start getting a ton of money out of these runs if you're going long enough so Mm -hmm. nothing really challenging there uh spirit hunters infinite horde is the more uh interesting game uh Mm. this might be this might be the best of the ones that are on playstation right now uh might be up there with uh remedium sentinels uh but it is a game that you know does a lot of the the stuff you would expect out of this kind of game. Um, the thing it does different is chests you you can find around the place, and there's different kinds of uh, chests. There's like just some mining spots. Uh, you find chests around on, on occasion. You also find uh, once you unlock them, pet cages that you go to, and you yeah. just basically hang around in the in a big circle area that shows up. Uh, and as you're doing that, you're basically just need to survive the yeah. the few seconds it takes to open it up as enemies are coming at you. Um, if you run out, you just have to restart it again. So nothing really too challenging, but a lot of those just shoot out money and uh, gems that you use for uh, the post-game stuff uh, or yeah. health or anything like that. But the pets are sort of adding new uh, abilities to you. So like, mm-hmm. you know, you get uh, extended range for pulling in, you know, the stuff around you. Or you get faster, do this, you know, some of these other things. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the other stuff just gives you all the things that you need. And so, yeah, you can choose the the gold to go to the shops that pop up on occasion to yeah. buy, you know, health if you need to refill it. Or buy some of the, the gems that you use for the, uh, the post-game stuff kind of yeah. thing. And you're just surviving until the boss shows up. And the boss, uh, unlike Vampire Survivors, the boss locks you in a... 
in a specific area, enclosed area. Mm-hmm. Uh, enemies will still come and attack you, but not in as much uh, of a of amounts that you get before that. Uh, but you just try and take out the boss. And I haven't had too much trouble after it took me like a couple runs to get uh, upgraded enough. I could do that and figure out mm-hmm. all that stuff. So yeah, not nothing too uh, unique there. But the the big thing that sets it apart instead of Vampire survivors, like here's a list of stats that you can put money into, and as you do that, they get more expensive, kind of thing. This has a tech tree, mm-hmm. uh, a huge tech tree that has all the characters you can unlock, and maps you can unlock, and modes, and other you know hardcore modes and all that kind of stuff, as well mm-hmm. as other abilities, and uh, usually a handful of upgrades for those abilities, as well. And some of those require you to kill certain amounts of enemies of certain kinds, uh, that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, that's where all the grinding goes into. Cause there's two currencies that go into that. Mm. And so that's one of the things you'll probably want to buy in the shop. So yeah, that one's uh pretty neat, but, uh, yeah, that's about all there is really. Mm. Uh, those are pretty good, uh, but fairly cheap. The spirit hunters is normally 10 bucks. It's on sale for seven right now. So, mm. Uh, that's been a pretty good time, but uh, yeah, that's been pretty much it for me. So, Brandon, what have you been doing? Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 all day, every day, basically. Um, um, that, yeah, that uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. Unless something drastic happens in the next couple of months, uh, game of the year, 100% at the very top of my list for me. Um, I'm not even finished with Act 1 yet, and this game has already completely won me over. Um, I'm getting very close to the end of what, Act 1, don't get me wrong, but yeah, so uh, me and uh, Chris talked about this uh, the other day when we were doing uh, Let's Weekend, and basically uh, he got he's gotten to the part where he's dealing with the, the goblins, and he's trying to find the druid guy, uh, Galen, no, not Galen, that's not his name, um, Halston, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it turns out Halston is there in the Goblin Village. He's actually in the 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 uh, temple that basically the the goblins have more or less ransacked and turned into their sort of personal fortress, where their first personal priestess is basically ruling over the place. Um, he's basically he's currently in his bear form, and he's trapped in a cell. Uh, I think, yeah, if I remember correctly, he's, like, in a floor underneath the throne room. Um, And once you get him out, you basically are going to have to, like, destroy, kill every single goblin that you come in contact with with at that point. Which, hopefully, you uh, have, you know, leveled up a bit or good enough to know how to fight. Because there's a bunch of them, and they can take you out very quickly if you uh, don't know how to handle them. But, you know, I, I managed to do that, and I also managed to kill the uh, their the leaders of that particular group of goblins, which included, on top of the priestess, also included a uh, a uh, elf woman named Nanthara and a giant or ogre of a tiefling whose name I completely forget. But um, after that... He, he he basically goes back to the Druid Circle and he, you know, 
Does, he doesn't kill Kaga, the druid who became like some weird human supremacist for some weird reason. Um, he just demotes her. Um, but he sort of ends up becoming your temporary ally, and you need what he does is in order to you know try and help, uh, you know help maybe get you help getting those tadpoles out of your head. Yet we need to go to this place called the Moonrise Tower. Now, there's two ways to go to the Moonrise Tower. There's the Mountain Passway, uh, which is difficult, but not um, unmanageable. And then there's the uh, the Underdark, which is the underground area where it's 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 basically a free-for-all down there. That's where the Drow are, which if anybody Forgotten Realms fans know, that's, that's their... That's their abode, and it is not a nice place to be. Um, but it can be also managed. It's also, uh, as far as like the area is concerned, it's a lot larger than the Mountain Pass is, and there's like a whole other uh, side quest you can take part in. And you also come in, come in contact with the... Uh, uh, there aren't really any like major drought that you come in contact with down there, but you do run into one or two. Mostly, the major like bad guys you're gonna come in contact with are the the uh, the dark dwarves, um, which are called the the Durgar um, or gray dwarves, as they're sometimes called. Uh, and they have like set up like this trafficking thing operation underneath that you have to break up. Um, my suggestion is that if you wanna, you know, you should do both basically, because. Um, once you get too far enough into the mountain pass that you can actually enter the area where the Moonrise Tower is, you can then go back and then start doing the Underdark, and you'll hopefully have enough experience that it'll make that particular area easier to deal with. But, um, and the thing is about the mountain pass, um, one, of the, one of the things that one of your companions, Lazel, the, the Githyanki woman who keeps talking about wanting to get a crèche, which is like a Githyanki term for like a platoon of Githyanki soldiers. Because um, they have like a thing that can supposedly get rid of the tadpoles. The, uh, um, she actually finds out where they are. They are actually in an old temple that was infested with, absolute, with uh, members of the Absolute cult. Um, and they basically killed all the monks and sort of commandeered the place for themselves. Um, and I won't spoil that whole area, but they have like an inquisitor there and it, it, it things go bad very fast. But basically what happens is once you get into like the actual area where the Moonrise uh, Tower is, you very quickly find out that the whole area is basically cursed by some sort of... Uh, it, it it doesn't really tell you outright, but there's a curse there that may or may not have been started by some sort of like a cult ritual or whatever um, by the owner of Moonrise Tower. Um, but basically, it, it, you you have to always have a torch or uh, like a moonlight um, lantern on you at all times because. If you don't, then the shadows that are inhabited at that place will basically either infect you with the shadow curse, which basically kills you or has you kill others, or you will be 
you know, um, basically attacked by wraiths. And the uh, the wraiths, uh, they're not particularly strong, but they do come out of nowhere, and they can come, they can like constantly spawn. Um, and eventually, what happens is you have to make your way. You end up coming into contact with a group called the Harpers, which uh, in the Forgotten Realms of Baldur's Gate lore, that's like a sort of sort of like semi-secret society slash paramilitary that um, responsible for sort of keeping all the supernatural stuff around Baldur's Gate in check, um, which kind of explains how like for a world that seems to be constantly, you know, at risk of being destroyed several times over by no end of several different types of supernatural forces. Uh, it somehow st- people still are able to go on with their lives, but you end up uh, going to this place called the Last Light Inn, which is basically a haven from the Shadow Curse because they've got this uh, cleric who's using uh, her magic to sort of create a shield around it. Um, and it's here that you'll wind up meeting a woman named Jahira, who is an elf woman, who is from the original Baldur's Gate games, the first two. Um, and she's like one of the handful of characters from the Baldur's Gate series that you'll come in contact with. Um, I won't spoil it from where he goes there, but ultimately what ends up, when, once you make your way to Moonrise Tower, you find out that uh, basically the guy who, is the owner of Moonrise Tower has essentially he went and he basically created some sort of pact with some sort of evil deity in the family mausoleum, uh, wherein uh, he has basically put the entirety of his realm under this shadow curse, and he's basically immortal. So yeah, and he's thrown his lot in with the cult of the absolute. Which is, you know, where I left off. But yeah, great game, amazing game. You know, absolutely, absolutely insist on people playing it. It's a great game. Uh, five out of five. Yeah, that's that's what I've been playing. So, Dan Red, what about you? Yeah, uh, thanks. It's, it's it's been a while since I've been on the show. So and off and on a bit. Uh, last week I was at PAX, uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but the main thing that I've been playing um, was Sea of Stars. Uh, I've had that game since about two weeks before the game came out uh, last week. And um, yeah, I absolutely love that game. So um, I know you guys, uh, or uh, Chris, talked about uh, Sea of Stars uh, a few times uh, over the last couple of weeks. And um, yeah, the game is something that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I think I gave it a four or four and a half on Smashpad. Um, totally awesome. And yeah, it's from the same developers and publishers as uh, The Messenger. But as far as its, its similarities, aside from sharing the same universe, that's that's pretty much about it. There, um, there were a few songs that were shared, but aside from that, like I didn't notice anything else. And um, everything from the writing to the story to the battle system, um, just to the way it plays overall, um, were things that I I came away super impressed by. Um, I think what really made it different was the fact that it just. Um, it just feels newer than um a lot of like games that try to um that try to emulate what happened in the SNES days like for example um if you see cliffs like they were pretty much inaccessible and for example i'm i'm, I'm going to use pokemon as an example um you know you can't climb in that game um but you can you can jump over um small ledges and in sea of stars you can climb them uh you can jump and things like that. So 
Like there were a lot of times in that game where I felt lost, but all I had to do was interact with the environment and all of a sudden, oh, okay, here I was. And then you, you could swim as well. So like, these are all things that, you know, are otherwise breaking the rules in a 32-bit RPG, but in Sea of Stars, it's more than welcome. And then we come to the battle system where the battle system is, it's fully turn-based, but it also shares um, uh, some features that are akin to games like Paper Mario or even Octopath Traveler. Uh, you know, I, I compare it to Paper Mario because even though it's turn-based, there are some like action moves you can do to make your attacks more effective. Like with the uh, female main character, she has the um, uh, the moon meringue where she can just like hit a uh, moon attack at a, at a character. It'll come back, hit it again with the A button, and then so on and so forth. So you could do like nearly limitless damage there. Um, and yeah, they're they're all based on um, time button presses. And then there's also um, the the strategy where you'll see. Um, all the weaknesses from your um, enemies, and if you're able to attack every single one of their weaknesses, then you can cancel out their turn. So, you know, you can go ahead and hit them with a sword, hit them with a hammer, hit them with uh, the moon, hit them with the sun, or basically any element, and that way you can cancel out their special abilities. And if you fail to do that, they'll use their special ability, and then, you know, you have to, like, use your best timing defense to go ahead and stop from happening. Um, at the same time, um, <clears throat> when, you, when, when one of your party characters dies, they can come back within a certain amount of turns, depending on how many like uh, dizzying stars they have over their heads. So you have to play a game with yourself to decide whether you want to like revive them right away, or and all of that stuff really matters, and it really makes the um, the combat more stressful as a result. And when I say stressful, I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean it's it's, it's just another thing. Kudos to uh, the team there, and yeah, everything from the music. It was just a really really impressive package. Uh, the thirty hours. Uh, that the game lasted was uh, quite the sweet spot for me. So, you know, if uh, you're into RPGs at all, uh, Sea of Stars is definitely... Um, aside from that, um, as I mentioned, I went to PAX, uh, played quite a few games there. Um, I had the whole four-day badge. It was my first time there. Um, I should also note that it's also my fourth time in Seattle. So um, just being able to go to a convention there was uh, really a different vibe, because aside from that, I've only been to E3... Uh, Comic-Con and uh, GDC and like I wouldn't really compare any of those to PAX. Um, the closest thing I would compare to PAX is probably um, EVO um, except that obviously EVO is like primarily geared towards fighting games whereas PAX is just like a full-on gaming celebration. Um, it's also worth noting that happening at the same time was Nintendo Live but to get into Nintendo Live you had to like win a raffle through the Nintendo website and I did not you know, even try. I mean, I, I've tried for a few raffles, but it didn't work out. And there was never a public call for press. So unfortunately, while I was uh, jealous of a lot of people with uh, Nintendo Live bags, I, did, I unfortunately did not get to go to that event. And it's unfortunate because that's one place where I could have previewed Super Mario Wonder, like one of the remaining um, uh, most anticipated games of the year for me. But yeah, I didn't get to try it out. But as for games I did try, uh, first off is Button City Soccer Days. Um, if you follow the site well, uh, Button City is a game that I reviewed in 2020. And the game is a pretty much a, a wholesome, you know, sort of RPG where, you know, you just uh, use a, um, a, cute, a cute little character and then just try to go, go, go to the plot. With Button City Soccer Days, it's really primarily a soccer game. But um, when I was talking to the devs that day, he also mentioned that it was sort of a pseudo-sequel. There's still a... Um, there's still a plot to worry about, but at the same time, when they were developing the original Button City, they were they were really 
uh, enamored by soccer culture at the same time, and they wanted to go ahead and input soccer um, into the universe somehow. And I, I got to try the game out. And uh, to be completely honest, I didn't find the soccer uh, aspect to be all that great as far as controls. Um, it's pretty much Rocket League using a bunch of you know furry characters and. Um, it was hard in that regard because, you know, I'm used to games like Mario Strikers or FIFA where you have full control of the ball, whereas with this game, it's like, you know, you're just rolling the ball to random places, making it feel like Fall Guys and things like that. You do have a tackling move that you can use on like other characters, um, but at the same time, it felt hard to really move the ball. Um, you can do things like uh, kick it high up and things like that, but as far as like shooting, you really have to find yourself in an advantageous position, and it was hard for me to do. I actually lost uh, my game because I actually shot the, uh, the ball into my own goal, which was pretty embarrassing. But um, yeah, um, I did have, like, despite all that, I was pretty um, pretty loud when I played. Uh, it was quite clear that I was enjoying it. So there's definitely something that I'll look out for when it comes out next year. Um, next up is Alterium Shift. Um, Alterium Shift is currently out on early access Steam. And it is another one of those um, inspired JRPGs. Um, and if you check out, take a look at the graphics, it's pretty much reminiscent of what you see on the Super Nintendo with a little bit of software there. Um, except um, I, I didn't really do much when it played. I just did these side quests where I had to return some chickens back to their coop and things like that. Um, but yeah, the art style, uh, I, I came away impressed. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if the story is going to be something that'll... Uh, keep me in because it seemed pretty basic, but it's definitely something you want to look out for because the art style is pretty nice, and I think that it'll be uh, worth looking at because of that. Um, next up, I played Long Gone Days. Uh, Long Gone Days is another uh, indie uh, JRPG-styled RPG, except with this one, it's really about like um, the spoils of war. Um, when I first started the demo, it actually begins in first person. Uh, where you have to like shoot some um, enemies at a base and you're a sniper. So it, it, it kind of felt like um, Metal Gear in that regard. But then after that, you go into turn-based battles and you can do things like shoot people in the legs, shoot them in the arm, shoot them in the head. And obviously like the head will do the most damage and things like that. So um, I don't know where this story is going, uh, but so far you do use like one main character who like just joined the military and you know you want to see what you do from there. But, so far, as far as like just the actual gameplay goes, I came away really impressed, and that's something I'm, I'm definitely going to wishlist. Um, next up is RZ, The Jewel of Theramore. This one is being published by Limited Run Games. And this one was janky, but, but I think it was janky on purpose. If you watch like any trailer of the game, it looks like basically something out of the CDI. And you know, we, we had a, a discussion about the CDI uh, a few months ago, and basically nothing we said was good. You know, this game is uh, very similar um, in regards to that. Uh, basically, it's an um, action side-scroller. Um, the reason why I found it pretty janky was because it didn't seem like there was much polish as to, like, both the platforming and the traversal. Um, sometimes I'd be running on things that I didn't even see, like, I'd be able to um, interact with them. But just that, that, was, that, was, that was the way things went. Um, I got up to a boss where I had to just pretty much just lay as many attacks without getting hit more than twice. And it was pretty difficult, but I managed to do it. I don't know if this is something that I'm going to keep my radar on, but like the, the jank was funny enough, and like the, the CDI visuals were definitely um, nostalgic. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it was like not my favorite kind of nostalgia, but it was pretty cool in that regard as well. 
Um, next is Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. Uh, this game is coming out in January of next year. And um, this is actually one of my most anticipated games of next year. Pretty excited with the way it turned out. Um, we played primarily the Switch version, and it performed quite well. Um, if you haven't seen any of the previews for Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, it's basically a side-scroller um, along the lines of a Metroidvania. And um, basically all of the combat is very Prince of Persia. You have your swords, uh, you have your spells here and there. Um, but for, for the most part, you're, you're hacking, finding ways to you know, traverse the area. Um, you have to do things like um, make platforms appear by stepping on switches, using wall jumps to get to certain areas, and making sure that you're saving when you can. Um, there was a point where I did die, and I chose like not to interact with the statue, so I ended up like losing five minutes, and we only played a 15-minute demo. So yeah, obviously when I was done, I was hoping to play more, but you know, demos end. And uh, yeah, like that build as far as the Switch goes was very good. So I look forward to playing that game in the future. And then the last game I'm going to talk about um, is Yakuza: The Man Who Name. Um, this game was announced like a few months ago, but we, it hasn't been confirmed for a physical release. Um, this game pretty much takes place in between Yakuza Six and Seven. Um, if you remember Yakuza 7, which is actually Yakuza Like a Dragon, uh, the main character is Ichiban Kasuga, whereas with this one, uh, we're back to Kiryu. Um, and basically it's supposed to bridge the gap between what happens between 6 and 7, because, spoilers, um, Kiryu is in um, Yakuza 7. Um, I'm not going to tell you what he does, not that it really matters, because if, if you've never played up to that point, you wouldn't know what he does anyway. But um, it's pretty cool seeing what happens here. You enter a luxury cruise liner, and you end up in sort of like this cool neon Japanese Macau Vegas uh, kind of place. And you have the option of going to a casino, uh, going to a nightclub, or just going to a fighting arena. And <clears throat> I just really explored, went into, into the fighting arena, and the, the, the fighting was pretty much your, your, your typical Yakuza. And now these days... Um, uh, Kirio is actually a secret agent, so he has a bunch of cool, like, secret agent moves at his disposal. <clears throat> he can do things like slide into enemies and, like, use a fake lasso to throw people around. Uh, it was a whole lot of fun. It was a, it was really messy. That's definitely a game to look forward to in the future. Um, I am playing one more game, but it's I, I can't talk about it until next week, so wait till then. But yeah, that's about it. All right, so let's get to some news. Uh, first up here, we got a Game Pass lineup for uh, the next week or two. Uh, and much like it has been of late, not really a ton on here. Uh, there's yeah, available now, Starfield, as I mentioned, uh, that's on PC and Xbox uh, Game Pass. Uh, for that, so you can check that out. I think there's like one free DLC. It just gives you an extra skin for certain items. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, also available now is Gris for console and PC. That is uh, an indie game that's been uh, pretty well regarded uh, for a while now. So if you have not checked it out, that's one to check out for some neat narrative stuff. Uh, so there you go for that. Uh, the two on here that are not out yet. Uh, there's Solar Ash on September 14th, console and PC Game Pass. Uh, this is from the Hyper the Hyperlight Drifter people, uh, doing something a little more uh, high-speed, kind of action-packed uh, to it as you are sort of in this uh, surreal dreamscape kind of world uh, where you're kind of 
uh, skating along the the water, whatever it is, uh, kind of doing your your thing, getting around, taking out some enemies and such, and also just exploring and enjoying the the cool visuals and the uh, the encounters and such you run into. Uh, a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, so that's one to check out. I think this is the launch of Solar Ash on Xbox, so it'll also be on Game Pass on day one, I think. Uh, let's see. Yeah, on the 19th, uh, which is the Tuesday after next, uh, Liza P will be out on PC and console Game Pass. Uh, that is the Souls-like uh, taking the uh, the story of Pinocchio and doing some Bloodborne-type stuff with it. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the sense of uh, Cthulhu stuff, but in the more the creepy, uh, uh, dark kind of vein to it. Uh, that, yeah, playing the demo uh, makes it look pretty cool. Uh, has some good ideas to it and all that. So, yeah, that's one uh, that I'm looking forward to. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of kind of it uh, for what's coming up. Uh, they do mention a couple things that came out maybe between the last announcement and this one. I don't know why they don't put these things on there. Uh, but there's Age of Empires 4 Anniversary Edition, which I think is... Uh, an update for Age of Empires 4 that was already on Game Pass. Uh, yeah, this is the console version, so there you go for that. Uh, called The Wild, The Angler. All the Wild's been like a hunting series, more the the gun stuff. Uh, this is sort of a fishing version of that, so you can deal with that stuff. Uh, and then there's Humankind. Uh, it's just on console, P- on game, console Game Pass. Uh, I think it's been on PC Game Pass for a bit, but this is the uh, the Sega kind of civilization kind of style game. I think it's still a little bit different than that, but uh, it's kind of same kind of idea of a historical strategy game. So there you go for your Game Pass stuff. Not really a ton here, but Starfield's kind of the big one that a lot of people have been looking forward to. I believe that's hit 6 million players. Uh, in the launch period, so uh, that game's doing just fine. And I want to say they hit at least 2 million people getting the uh, deluxe edition for the early access and all that. Uh, so there's a lot of people paying at least 35 bucks to play it a few days early uh, over Labor Day weekend, which I'm sure was not at all a part of the, the plan for that stuff. But yeah, there you go. Uh, for that, uh, for the other subscription services, I got an update this week. Uh, Nintendo Switch Online got four new games uh, for the NES, Super Nintendo, and Game Boy. Uh, I did a stream of these games, so I know more about them than I would have otherwise. Uh, let's see, for the NES, there is Downtown Neketsu March, Super Awesome Field Day. There's a Kunio Kun game uh, based around the uh, uh, the the idea of like the 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 school sports day kind of anime trope of uh, a big like festival of uh, classes competing against each other in sports and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's a game that's already been available on the Switch as part of the uh, I think the Double Dragoning uh, Kunio Kun bundle uh, release that has. All the Kunio Kun games from, I think, the NES 
uh, era arcade NES uh, stuff as well as the Double Dragon stuff, and that's on there uh, in English, I believe. Uh, so it's more playable, whereas here it's uh, this is the Japanese only release. So your ability to understand what's going on and all that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, so that's a thing that kind of uh, made that for me just be kind of an impenetrable mess, uh, especially the way it controls. So that's one maybe I don't recommend checking out as much if you can get access to that uh, big bundle collection they put out. Uh, the other one for the NES is also a, Jap- a Japanese-only game, uh, Joy Mech Fight, uh, which is a fighting game where you are uh, initially controlling a robot from uh, a nice robot-making man uh, who is trying to take down the eight bad robots from the bad robot-making man. You might notice that that is similar to what the uh, the, the plots of Mega Man games tend to be, and that is kind of seems to be the the, the inspiration. Uh, but instead of it being an you know an action platformer, it is a fighting game. Uh, in a and the characters look pretty cool. Uh, they are kind of if uh, Rayman was a robot, so you don't see limbs, uh, but you see feet, you know, torso, head, and you know, hands uh, for these different robots, and they have some uh, a good variety of designs and the way that these different uh, robots control. Uh, but it, yeah, it's not super hard, uh, and especially with the the save states and rewind stuff, you can kind of get through that uh, without too much trouble uh, once you start getting the the controls down. But it's a uh, it's an NES game, so there's not too much there uh, of difference because it's. Like it's one button for kicks, one button for punches, and you can use the the D pad to uh, do you know down and up kicks, up generally jumps, uh, down does some sort of you know kick or something like that or punch uh, kind of thing uh, for the the main character. He kind of puts a hand down and kicks his two feet in the air for like a high kick kind of thing. So uh, there's some fun there messing around with that. You kind of go through, I think. Three rounds of having to beat uh, the enemy robots, and that's they kind of get a little trickier with each round. So there you go for that. Uh, that one's actually pretty neat. Uh, for the Super Nintendo, they have Kirby Star Stacker, a game that also is a Japanese-only release. Uh, we got the Game Boy version, uh, but they went uh, like 97, ported it back to the Super Famicom, and then that never came back over because... Nintendo was done with the, the Super Nintendo at that point. I was like 97, 98 uh, for that. But uh, yeah, that's a it's a puzzle game. A little bit of uh, Puyo Puyo style of thing. Uh, though you don't have to make uh, a match of four like uh, creatures. It has all the, the, the like buddy creatures that Kirby had on some of the Super Nintendo games. The, the big bird, the fish, the... Uh, the other ones uh, that there's the star blocks and you're basically just trying to get uh, at least two blocks next to each other of the same creature uh, and any amount of other blocks between them uh, helps out. Uh, I assume gives you more uh, points to it. Uh, And this was sort of the, the puzzle game where I got into a good rhythm and just wasn't able to die uh, because especially the blocks uh, reaching the top of the screen didn't seem to end it. 
for some reason. So I don't know uh, how you die in that. So, uh, but yeah, that's that was a, a pretty well done uh, puzzle game. So that's one you can check out. And then for the Game Boy, there is Quest for Camelot. Uh, this is based on an animated movie. Uh, and it's a, a game that people I've seen say it's a, a terrible game. Uh, but with the uh, the rewind and the safe state stuff, you can actually make it a more manageable game. Yeah. It's a, ter- it's a terrible game, basically. Frankly, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Zelda clone. But yeah. Uh, with some adventure game elements as you had to, you don't start with a sword or anything. You go talk to a guy who's like, Oh, you need to find my chickens. And then tells you his brothers down below uh, South on the map. And so you go find the chickens and he gives you a sword and you go talk to the sword guy. And he's like, Oh, you got to go kill all the guys, the knights that are around here. And then uh, he'll tell you more. And I lost track of a couple of guys because uh, it's pretty easy to get kind of lost of where everything's at. This is a game that to save, you have to map the save to one of the face buttons, and then you have to have at least 50 gems to save. You have to spend currency to save. Mm. Uh, but with this version, you don't need to do that bullshit. You can just save state, and as well as rewind, uh, that kind of stuff. The combat's not very good, but... Uh, if you can get them to back you up against the wall, you get better because you are kind of better able to keep the attack rhythm going and just take them out mm. more easily. Um, but yeah, you have like a certain amount of hearts. Uh, and as you lose them, you know, beating enemies, will they have a chance of dropping them, that kind of stuff. So it's not too hard once you uh, kind of figure out all of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it kind of has some very maze-like things and uh, the... Uh, it's a little bit at times kind of confusing as to whether enemies respawn or not, mm. uh, that kind of stuff. And you're into some bullshit enemies. There's wizards that turn into a different form that then just starts sucking your health away if you're too close to them. Mm-hmm. So you kind of need to keep your distance in a sense. Uh, I also helped out a guy who was looking for his dog, and his dog is the the, the thickest dog I've ever seen in a video mm-hmm. game. Uh, the big ass on some of his sprites. So, oh yeah, yeah, that's a it's a game. It's it's an all right game uh, with the things that Switch uh, the the Switch Online games have uh, with rewind and save states that let you get past uh, some of the bullshit. Mm-hmm. And if you take a bunch of damage, you can just rewind and be like, all right, I'll do this better this time. Mm. Yeah, I have yet to try um, any of these. I do find it interesting that um, you know the majority of what came out this batch was Japanese. Um, it makes you wonder whether or not, like you know, a lot of the games that came out um, only uh, since the since the inception of the um, of the app are eventually going to come here. You no, know, probably. Not, but wishful thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I think they try to keep it to stuff that's more easily parsable versus like some of the. I think there's a Fire Emblem game or two on there that we don't have. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to keep it that way because those are very text-heavy games. That uh, they'll, They'd rather uh, sell you a translated version like they did for the one mm-hmm. uh, for like six months or whatever that was. Mm. So there you go. That's a, 
a decent list of some interesting games. Uh, but yeah, let's see. We'll be getting some more interesting games here mm. as uh, Tokyo Game Show is coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Xbox will be having uh, what they're calling Tokyo Game Show 2023 Xbox Digital Broadcast, mm-hmm. uh, where they will be, uh, let's see, sharing news and updates on games that uh, will be aimed at fans in Japan and across Asia and those that appreciate those kind of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, though they do say your players can expect to hear progress updates from Xbox and Bethesda Softworks and see a creatively diverse collection of games from creators predominantly located in Japan and across Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, sharing news uh, about new games coming to Game Pass. Uh, so that's... Uh, I think you'll probably see a lot more Japanese stuff. I guess Bethesda would be uh, the... What game did they make? Um, trying to think. Uh, mm. Hi-Fi Rush. Probably something from that studio because that's their... Their main Japanese studio, but maybe they're publishing something, I don't know, from Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. There you go. That'll be September 21st at 2 a.m. Pacific time. So mm-hmm. we will not be co-streaming now because that's too late. But we'll probably talk about what interesting stuff there is in this, uh, see what the what will be there. Uh, I'll probably have the, the Persona games uh, that are coming out on game pass as they have the like the marketing deal on that stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah you'll see some stuff so there you go something to keep an eye out for here in a couple of weeks uh also coming out in a couple of weeks little gator games coming to playstation and xbox Mm -hmm. on september 26th this is a very cool uh game from yeah a developer called mega wobble published by platonic friends uh, this is kind of an open world uh, action platforming thing, but based around uh, your little gator dude's uh, imagination of playing, mm-hmm. you know, in a Legend of Zelda style game, uh, role playing that kind of thing as he turns the playground and all the areas around that into mm-hmm. uh, something that could be, you know, a new adventure for Link, but mm-hmm. primarily using his imagination with uh, a lot of like craft stuff to create, you know, uh, kind of sign versions of Zelda enemies, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a it's a fun, chill, relaxing kind of game uh, with a lot of cool exploration stuff and all that. So yeah, that's one uh, I definitely recommend. I enjoyed my time with the PC version there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on, September 26th. Uh, so yeah, there you go. On that, and uh, yeah, that's it for dates. Uh, but we do have... Uh, a new TMNT game that's in the works. Uh, this uh, the Mutant Mayhem movie did very well. Yeah, it seems like they have done a deal to get a new game uh, with Outright Games making this. Uh, they make a lot of uh, licensed stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not as bad as I think Game Mills, the other one that does that kind of stuff. Uh, but they're you know probably not going to be amazing, but be pretty decent. But this is sort of a a game that takes place months after the events of the movie. Uh, they'll feature the same kind of unique visual style that the the movie has. Um, but yeah, they'll be taking on a new mutant menace in the in New York City and kind of doing all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that looks neat. No time frame for it, but it'll be coming to consoles and PC sometime next year. Uh, so yeah, that's cool to see. 
Well, I mean, just just real quick, I I, I really enjoy Team and Team Mutant Mayhem, and um, yeah, like I don't know how a game would turn out, especially if it ends up being made by like the game mill folks or whoever it may, may be. Um, and I have played bad TMNT games before, but for the most part, I'd still be excited. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be cool. Uh, let's see, we got some Final Fantasy news. Uh, we got a new uh, sales update on Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have topped 3 million. Uh, they were at 2 million in May, so they've sold about a million copies since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty good news. Uh, with the, yeah, with the pixel remasters of uh, Final Fantasy 1 through 6. I don't know how they tab- tabulate these numbers since you can buy them mm-hmm. all separately or in a bundle with all six, but uh, they've sold some combination of those things to add up to another million. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some pretty good appetite for those games on uh, all the platforms except for, yeah, not Xbox yet. Maybe that'll be on the... uh uh, the TGS show for Xbox. Yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. The other Final Fantasy news is that uh, the Final Fantasy 16 game will be getting uh, uh, two DLC expansions. Uh, they had talked about how they didn't have any planned uh, for the initial game's launch or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems like it's done well enough that they have green-lighted them doing two expansions. Uh, for some point, probably by next year, I'm guessing at this point. Mm-hmm. As uh, Yoshida said here, let me take this opportunity to officially announce that development on a PC version is currently underway. Hope you'll be able to give you more information on both the upcoming DLC and the PC version mm-hmm. before the end of the year. So please stay tuned. So uh, they'll probably have that PC version out by the end of the year mm-hmm. or a date, at least, I guess. Uh, maybe some more, maybe something to show off for that DLC. Mm. Uh, that seems like a thing that would probably be at the Game Awards. From what uh, we tend to see out of that. So, yeah, PC version has been something people have been hoping to see, but you know they've been very uh, timid about talking about it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some slight references that it'll be happening. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, now he's officially confirming that it's in the works. Uh, so, yeah, probably out sometime later this year so there you go some more final fantasy 16 coming yeah. uh, for that so yeah there you go yeah. and yeah speaking of dlc uh people have been wondering when the legend of zelda tears of the kingdom were getting dlc and uh their producer here is uh saying yeah ag aonuma has said there will be no dlc for the game uh yeah. so this in uh yeah famitsu magazine in Japan, uh, we have no plans to release additional content this time, but that is because we feel like we have done all we can do to create play in that world. Yeah. This time, the reason we decided to make a sequel to the previous game in the first place is because we thought it would be worth experiencing new ways to play in Hyrule. Mm-hmm. Such reasons why we may retain, return to the same world, whether it's a sequel or new work. Mm. Uh I think it will be a completely new way to play, so I hope you will look forward to it. Mm. Um, the the hidden meaning I see in there is that for the new Switch, we might get a Tears of the Kingdom Deluxe with some new content in it. Mm. And that won't be DLC. It would be like, you know, uh, a lot of the the ports they've done of Wii U stuff where it's, uh, you know, Pikmin 3 Deluxe and some of this where it's 
extra content in there because you know what they they got to do it to make it mm. more enticing kind of stuff and they'll uh potentially have you know a much more powerful system to work with to make it look really nice and run really well and maybe able to do more with uh, uh mm. the resources they have there uh so that would be my thoughts for potential for new Zelda content anytime in the new year mm-hmm yeah, I mean, uh, Aonuma and the team that worked on Tears of the Kingdom absolutely outdid themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, um, a lot a lot was made over the fact that um, Tears of the Kingdom ended up being a $70 game, but at the end of the day, like, it was well worth the money. And mm-hmm. if you're expecting more from it, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Um, obviously, I really enjoyed Breath of the Wild. When that DLC came out, it came and went. I didn't really care for it. It may have been good. I don't know. But I feel like, you know, the reward there, which was obviously like the motorcycle or whatever it was, like, yeah, it was nice. But is that really something that, you know, you really needed DLC for? And then when you go over to Tears of the Kingdom, a lot of the stuff that was in um, Breath of the Wild's first downloadable pack, uh, namely like the hero's journey and things like that, where you can see all the footsteps you did, like a lot of that stuff made it into the game anyway. So, you know, you do definitely got you know, what you paid for with Tears of the Kingdom and then some. And even if they did have DLC planned, like, I don't know what they would possibly do that even really makes the game better. So, Mm. despite the fact that, you know, Breath of the Wild DLC may have been interesting, I don't think that actually enhances the game in any way. Why why even bother? And then it goes back to what Chris was. They're they're already on Switch 2 mode, right? Mm. Um, You know, there's rumors of a Direct coming soon, and, like, as far as Zelda news goes, like, the only thing left to do for Zelda right now, if they want to, is to have Switch versions for Twilight Princess. Um, What's the other one? Uh, Wind Waker. And it doesn't even need to happen. But, you know, if they want to make the entire series playable on the Switch, that's what does need. Aside from that, Tears of the Kingdom, the book is closed. It's probably going to be my game of the year. And just be happy with it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, let's get to some more Nintendo news. Uh, they talked about uh, Charles Martinet kind of moving to a Mario ambassador role mm-hmm. uh, and that they would be uh, putting on a video with him and uh, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto uh, sometime in the future. And that finally happened here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put a, a nice little video uh, a few minutes long of Charles Martinet in his most kind of uh, grandpa mode uh, with long hair and all that. Uh, Talking about how much it's meant to him to do the Mario voice and Luigi and Mario and all that uh, over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Shigeru Miyamoto kind of goes through and talks about how much it's meant to him to have somebody like Charles doing the voice uh, Mm -hmm. for the West. Uh, That uh, has been a long time for them almost. 30 years. And all that said, uh, Charles calls him Papa when they meet uh, for that. So, yeah, that's uh, uh, the one like big thing that kind of came out of this. So, yeah, kind of had a, a nice little message. All that. Uh, some people still so don't seem to be happy about any of this. Uh, that's, yeah. That's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've seen any voice actor get as good of a send-off as Charles has gotten. Uh, with all of this here from Nintendo and Shigeru Miyamoto. Uh, Most just stop doing it. They don't get hired for the next thing. And that's Mm -hmm. the last you hear from them, really. Unless they give some platitudes and a 
a video or something, but this is like the the biggest send up I've ever seen for a a voice actor for any series or uh uh role. So seems like uh he's getting to getting the send off he uh deserves and that more voice actors should get really. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if you guys talked about it when 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 the new, when the news first broke out a couple weeks ago or or last week. Um, but I'm wondering what uh, Martin A's role as a Mario ambassador really means. I mean, like I'm someone that goes to a, a lot of conventions, and he's someone that is uh, there to you know, you can get his autograph, you can pay him to act like Mario like on your phone and things like that. And I'm wondering whether this means he'll be at more or less of these events because. Um, I've seen videos from fans who've like met him and like, it, it's always like the most wholesome thing, like seeing a little, um, a little child just be amazed at the fact that, you know, they met the real Mario or things like that. But yeah. As far as the send off, it's really cool. Um, one thing that I did find a little curious though, was um, the timing because um, the video didn't say anything new um, as opposed to like, you know, when the news first broke out, like, yeah, we knew he was going to be an ambassador uh, we knew that Super Mario Wonder would have a completely new cast. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the timing is just weird. Like they could have just made the announcement with this video. Um, maybe it was to, uh, because Martin A was not at um, PAX. So I guess like that, that that's one reason why they came out with it so late. But yeah, it's it, it's it's a weird decision. But at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it, it's still a good send off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm guessing they just probably didn't have a time to do a video like this when they first made the decision yeah, about that stuff. Maybe just had things going on mm-hmm. uh, with him that kind of caused them to not be able to do it uh, super well. So it just might be a timing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with his Mario Ambassador role, it's just more that he gets more uh, financial support to go to conventions and that kind of stuff for mm-hmm. Nintendo to be there at the booth and do fun stuff with people. Probably not a, a super well-designed role, much like Shigeru Miyamoto is the uh, the creative fellow at Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just like, ah, you get to kind of hang around and, you know, make decisions and such here and there, but, you know, no real thing that they're like forcing him out or anything mm. yeah and i think it was last week that they announced that nintendo had by far the highest like um keep rate as far as their employees go so you know when you have roles like this where it doesn't really seem like you do much i'm not saying they, they, they don't do anything but you know like just working for nintendo is prestige on its own and there's no reason for these guys to quit that's mm-hmm. it, and it's a good thing so yeah yeah so there you go and uh yeah speaking of retiring uh, the chief creative officer at Epic Games, Donald Mustard, announced that he is going to be uh, retiring from mm-hmm. Epic this month, uh, having spent 25 years in the gaming industry, mm. uh, doing a lot of work. Uh, I think most notably uh, working on Shadow Complex mm-hmm. uh, uh, before Chair got bought by Epic Games, and he sort of grew through the ranks of them as they worked on, you know, Gears games and uh, uh, eventually Fortnite mm-hmm. kind of has grown up to a, an executive level person there, kind of a big figure. So uh definitely wish him well as he kind of takes it easy 
for a while. I don't know if he's going to be out of games completely, maybe working on a, a smaller thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but probably taking a break for a while. Uh, kind of uh, spend time with his family and all that. So, uh, yeah, wish him the best of luck. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there you go for that. And uh, last one here, the big news. The ESA has made a statement telling us that E3 continues to be a thing that isn't happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because E3 2023 was canceled mm-hmm. back in March. They still seem to be planning E3 2024, mm-hmm. uh, but not at LA Convention Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, which had been reported on that their uh, lease for the event to be held at the LA Convention Center had kind of lapsed at a certain mm-hmm. point. Uh, so they're still planning on that, but then announced that the uh, the ESA and Reed Pop have come to a mutual decision to part ways mm-hmm. on working on future E3 events. So mm-hmm. that's... Uh, a big deal because Reed Pop are the people running packs and some of the Comic Con stuff and all that. So uh, they couldn't get E3, you know, to actually happen, uh, even with the short notice they probably had for E3 2023. It seems like there's just a, a difference of opinion there, probably between the two groups over what uh, maybe next year's show should be. Uh, but yeah, it seems like ESA is going back to the board, working on their own. Uh, and they're looking to completely reinvent the show, at least for uh, the 2025 iteration, if that happens. Mm-hmm. As they say here, we appreciate Reed Pop's partnership over the past 14 months and support their ongoing efforts to bring industry and fans together mm-hmm. through their various events. While the reach of E3 remains unmatched in our industry, we're continuing to explore how we can evolve it to best serve the video game industry and are evaluating Every aspect mm. of the event, from format to location, mm. we are committed to our role as as a con- convener for the industry, and look forward to sharing news about E3 in the coming months. Mm. I don't, I don't get any idea that they have any clue what 2024 is going to be or any sort of future thing. It just seems like they're like, ah, oh, we're going to do something different, mm. and who knows, we might figure that out one day. And then we'll hold E3. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a big blow, um, especially just coming off PAX. And now that I know what PAX is capable of in 2023, um, mm. it's, you know, E3 needs some sort of win and they're not getting it anytime soon. And I don't know how long this company can continue to exist. They don't have anybody's trust, especially after like giving away all of our contact information, um, especially after losing Jeff Keighley as a partner, um, especially mm. after losing Reed Pop as a partner after just uh, a year when nothing even happened. You know, um, it's sorry. It's 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 just dead. There's there's nothing they can do. I I, I don't see a way out of this at all. Yeah. Especially yeah. with 2024 already pretty much being canceled. So it's it, it's rough. Yeah, uh, they're gonna they're just gonna have a pop up thing in a parking lot somewhere and be like, it's E3. We got the we got Hollow Knight. So uh, you know, Hollow Knight Silk Song here. That's the the one game we figured out. The one that most people cared about. And that's how we're going to bring the people here. Hollow Knight Silk Song, Mario 3, I don't know, Duke Nukem 11. I don't, I don't know what all of them do. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a whole thing. I don't know what the ESA's plan really is, because I don't know if the many of the big players in the industry really want it back 
in the form that it was in mm. as a, a super expensive uh, thing to do versus, you know, having their own shows that they can air during like summer game fest that uh, do everything they want to do, showing off the, the games they're making, their partners are making and, you know, that kind of stuff and bringing the most attention directly to them. No, uh, the USA doesn't seem to know how to turn that into a physical event uh, that's any better than what Jeff Keighley does with uh, Summer Game Fest thing that they do in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like people like that, uh, press people. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's not much of a, a public-facing aspect of that outside mm-hmm. of what uh, demos they do that they get to, you know, uh, get some capture footage to take on take with them to do their own thing at, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's not the, the big public spectacle that E3 has been in the past. And it, it just doesn't seem like, uh, uh, the big studios want to invest in that kind of thing anymore. Unfortunately, they mm-hmm. like being able to participate in somebody else footing, you know, most of the bill with, uh, you know, PAXs and mm-hmm. TGS and Gamescom and that kind of stuff. And just partnering up with uh, Jeff Keighley to give them a couple of trailers that they have and mm. let them put it all together in a, a pretty good show package. So, mm. yeah. There you go for E3. Not, not much to report about, same as it's been for the past few years since COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had that one year where they kind of cobbled together some online stuff, but that was about as much as they could do. And that's all that we've had since the since the pandemic started. Yep. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, that'll do it for the show this week. So mm-hmm. yeah, thank you to Brandon Danner for joining. Always. Uh, we'll be back next week with a, a new slate of news and stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, as uh, summer is finally ending for us, uh, things are a little more uh, bearable here when mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the the end of the hot days, at least. So. Yeah, thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, if you let friends and family know, they should check it out and select strangers uh, that also have uh, uh, cool games to talk about and play. Yep. Uh, that's There's enough for everybody right now. So, mm-hmm. Just a yeah. bunch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. I hope you have a good week ahead, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>